Thanks so much for joining us at C3 Church SV for our podcast. We are so excited to share this message with you and hope you're blessed by it today. Can I read a scripture to you? It's going to be our text for today. And if you have a Bible and you like to read, you can get your Bible out, Philippians chapter 2. And I want to read from verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippian church. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. It's interesting to me that Paul says, make my joy complete. He's not even saying this. I'm not even asking you this necessarily just directly to do this to God. I'm I'm asking you to do this for me. Uh, Paul was considered their spiritual father. Paul was... He, 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 it's like he gave birth to the church in many ways. He, he laboured for the church. He persevered for the church. He faced much opposition for the church. And now he's compelling the church. Come on, make my joy complete by, by being one. He says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, which in matter of fact, in those days was a very, humiliating way to die. Therefore God exalted Himself to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That at the name of Jesus every knees should bow, that at the Name of Jesus, there is power in the Name of Jesus. How many people know that? There is there is power in the Name of Jesus. There is strength in the Name of Jesus. There is not just power to make every knee bow, but as we bow, strength comes into our lives that, that God can build our lives upon the very Name, the very foundation of Jesus. And I'm excited to be taking some time. We've, we've taken some time, in fact, over the last several weeks to really discover the, the purpose in in diversity as a church in our series called Diversity University. And, and not, just, not just the purpose, but also the power when diversity works in unity. There, there is much power that is available to the church when a diverse people work together with one mind and one purpose. And to be honest with you, this has actually been by far one of the most uh, difficult series to... Uh, to put together, to prepare. It's been a difficult series to, in, in the preparation of this series. It's, it's, been, it's been very difficult in, in really kind of piecing it together. Yet at the same time, there hasn't been a series where I've received more feedback on how God has been ministering to people in this season. And, and, and somebody say there's purpose in the pain. There's purpose in the pain. It's fascinating how, how painful the process can be sometimes, but 
but what people receive is, is worth it. And with that, I'm excited to preach today on a subject that I've actually never ever preached on before. Never. Never even when I was a youth, not even just in this church, never as a youth pastor and years of ministry before we started this church, never have I preached on this subject before. But even though I haven't preached on it, I guarantee you I've had many opportunities to grow in it. Because how many people know that before God can do something through you, He needs to first do something in you? How many people know that? Amen. So today I want to speak to you from the subject of humility. Humility. Can I get my, can I get my, my teaching aid out here? We keep forgetting that. It's hard. It's hard when there's multi things to do in a service. And, and, and I'm committed to, to providing opportunities to help you receive the Word of God. So we've been having this teaching aid each week. How many people have been appreciating the visual aid? How many visual learners do we have up in here? Yes, Vadim, I know you're a visual learner. And, and so we've, we've been committed. Uh, well, I've been committed to, to developing us as a church and continuing to provide um, a teaching, a visual opportunity. And so today I want to write down for you the, the, the title of this message. How many people have been enjoying the titles over this series? It's not CrossFit. It's, what was the dorm rules were last week. And, and today the, the sermon title for this message is How many people know someone that needs to get it together? Anybody, anybody, that person, you know you need to get it together this morning. Come on, why don't you do something in the spirit of Diversity University? Why don't you find 15 people, high five them and say, get it together. Come on, get it together, 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 get it together. Come on, get it together. You just come up here and do it. Get it. Get it together. 15 people, 15 people. Get it together. I got my little table too, Tamika. I just got my little table. Do you want to wipe that too for me? Because I'm a messy artist. I've got like white paint all over the stage. I've got white paint on my hands. I've got white paint on this microphone. Sorry, sound team. But it's for your benefit. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, so this week, just last week, it was my twins' birthday. Zali and Zara, they, they turned nine years old. Yeah, you can give us a hand for that. We've survived nine years of the, uh, the Twister Twos, the, the Twinnies. The, people often would say double trouble, but, but we didn't ever like that much. We would rather prophesy double blessing. But, but you know, it's funny how people speak things. And so... And so it was their birthday this week and, and it fascinated me that, that what they wanted to do out of everything that they wanted to do, they're nine-year-old nine year girls, okay? But, but, but the thing that they wanted to do is they're like, they pleaded with me, Dad, can we, can we go to the Giants game? And I'm like, partly I'm excited because it's a sporting event, but partly I'm confused because I don't think they've ever watched a sporting event in their life. 
it's pretty much predominantly been on our household on the TV set. It's been American Girl Doll Show or, you know, some other princess, Frozen. How many parents know what I'm talking about? Daddies of daughters. You know what it's talking about. It's predominantly been this kind of stuff. And now they're asking, Dad, can we, can we go to the Giants game? And they weren't just asking once or twice. They were like singing baseball songs. They... They, they were wearing, they made baseball outfits and they're like, they're just like pumped about baseball. And so we decided, okay, if that's, if that's what you want. And I, I had to make sure, I'm like, are you, are you sure that's what you want? And they're like, Dad, we're sure. I'm going to take a couple of our friends. We want to go to the Giants game. So we packed up a car full of kids and my wife and I, we took them up to the, to the Giants game. Now, now, most of you know how, how stupid that is as a parent to have the ratio of only two adults to like all these kids. There's like seven kids. So, so two adults to seven kids in the midst of crowds is, is crazy, okay? We're, I mean, we're stupid. But, but what I discovered is in me, and I figured this out. I've known this for some time, but it was really emphasised that I'm, I'm a walking contradiction. I'm a walking contradiction because... Because on one hand, I love crowds. I want to eat at the restaurant that's packed. I want to eat at the restaurant that's happening. If we go to a restaurant, like even if we're early, there's no one in the restaurant. I'm like, babe, we're not eating here. Just, something, something's going on and we're not eating here. I want to be where the crowd is. I want to be where it's happening. I'm energised by people. I love it. But at the same time, I hate it. I hate not being able to get through the crowd. You know what I'm talking about. And it is really difficult when I, I told Kira as we're walking along, I felt like a mother duck. Here I am trying to part way through the crowd and all of a sudden my little ducklings get lost in the midst of the crowd. And then it's like crisis mode. You know when you go from cool parent to all of a sudden, who's seen my kids? And then everyone's like, well, dude, they're right behind you. I'm like, oh, okay, it's all good. Sorry, but sorry, man. Bless you. God bless you. Um, but what I found out, what I discovered just this week is that I'm a walking contradiction because I really do love a crowd. I love going to the restaurant that's packed out. If we turn up to a restaurant and we have a reservation even, but there's no one else there, we walk away. We pretend like we never made that reservation because I don't want to eat in a restaurant where there's no atmosphere, where there's no people because something's wrong with the place. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I love a crowd. I, I, love, I love church being crowded. I love church being crowded. But at the same time as I love a crowd, I like to find my seat. I don't like the crowd preventing me getting where I need to go. I've realised that I'm a walking contradiction this week. This was evident in our, our honeymoon, in fact. Let me tell you a little bit about that. Our honeymoon was phenomenal. We had two phases to our honeymoon. The first week of our honeymoon, we spent on a remote island. It was like, it was like just heaven. It was amazing. Let me tell you a little bit more about this remote island experience. It was pretty much just Kira and I on this island. We had, we, and, and, I, and I have to say this, when it comes to two becoming one, we, we personified that, okay? We personified, we were so united. We were so united in everything. Everything. It was like, babe, you want to do a massage? I want to do a massage too. Babe, you want to get a cocktail? I'm going to prefer you. I'll go and get it for you because it was all inclusive. But, but you know, <laughs> but I was, I, was, I was preferring her. Man, we were united in everything. We were aligned to, to the, man, it was like, she was like, she was wondering what happened. Man, God is so good. I, I had a fiance. Now God gave me the man of my dreams. In marriage, he just did something to me because on that island, I was spectacular people. But the second week of our honeymoon, for some reason, I decided that I wanted to change it up and we weren't going to, we were just going to do one week on the remote heavenly paradise island that it was. The next week, we're going to go and do a theme park as a couple, really just to test our relationship, you know, just to test, does it have the strength to endure? 
And, and so we went from paradise. We went from, from just being a, a, just us, just us and palm trees and white sand and, and blue water. We went from that to crowds of tourists in, in a theme park in Queensland, which is like the, the centre of hell. It is so hot that the sun will beat down on you. And, and I don't know if you know this or not, but there is a hole in the ozone, people. But that hole is above Australia, okay? And, and so, so what that means is it's like a magnifying glass where the sun beats down on your head and, and pretty much you need a hat. But I didn't have a hat because on the island, all they had was these sun visors. Now they are the dumbest invention known to man because whilst it shades your eyes, the sun beats down right on the top of your head and gives you heat stroke. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So here I am in the midst of, of what is meant to be honeymoon paradise. Uh, I, I'm in the midst of crowds of people that the heat is searing down on me. My, my, my endurance is, is failing. My endurance is not going so well. And I, I don't know why, but it seemed to be like a tourist moment for a specific group of tourists who all had umbrellas that were shorter than me. And, and I'm not even a particularly tall guy, but, but they were all poking me in the neck. It was like from every direction, these spiky ends of these um, umbrellas in my neck. So my patience is, is really suffering right now. Kira's pumped. She's like, man, we're gonna go on this ride. It's the Superman ride. I'm like, I don't, I don't, all I wanna do is go to the food court right now. I'm gonna get some air conditioning. But, but nonetheless, because we're united, whatever you do, I do as well. And we're standing in the line and they're asking for a volunteer. I didn't want to volunteer. I had this lady push me in the back. I'm trying to tell her off. I'm like, oh, come on, lady, chill out. But then all of a sudden he goes, you, the tall guy. <laughs> now, on one half, I'm flattered. First time in history being the tall guy. Like, Thank you very much. But at the same time, I really didn't want to volunteer for this thing. I didn't even want to be in the line. I didn't want to be on this ride. But what it was was this Superman ride where they, they picked a volunteer or conscripted somebody and that person had to go out the back. They had to put on this Lycra Superman outfit that had been worn by 3 million people that day. And, and this thing, every one of them had been sweating so much that this light Lycra was not light anymore. Literally, I, I would take this thing, if I dropped it, it would just splat on the ground. This is this, this, this rag. It was like a dishcloth that had just been used. And then I'm like, I'm not putting this on. He's like, oh, so you're going to disappoint everyone waiting in the crowd right now, are you? So the pressure's on. So I'm like, all right. So I kind of just squeeze into this lycra, wet, soggy outfit. And, and this thing had shrunk in the wet or something because I'm not even a big guy. That's why, and I'm like, man, this thing's, this thing's tight. It was snug, okay? It was snug. So here I am up on a stage in a very snug outfit in front of hundreds of people. And they're like, the guy's like, he's going to town. He's like, come on, can you, can you act like Superman? And I'm do the best I can. So I do my Superman moves. And he's like, have you got any more muscles? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, can you flex them? I'm like, I am flexing, man. Come on. This is all I've, all I've got. Work with me. But here I am in, in the midst of this, this frustrating place. I've got lycra, wet lycra on from somebody else's body stuff. And then I, I take it off. I slap it on the ground. I walk out and Kira goes, that was phenomenal. I'm like, this is hell. We're not aligned right now. I want to go back to the island. And it's fascinating to me how in the remote place we could be unified. But when the external pressures came along, I came undone. Our, our unity wasn't so aligned because of me. Here's a question I'd like to ask us as a church. How do we stay united as one person, as one group, as one people, when faced with opposition that causes me to come undone. 
How do, how do we as the church stay united when in my world there's pressure on me that's causing me to come undone? And so often we can feel like we're the ones that are letting down the rest. Right? So often we can feel like everyone knows that I'm the one that's undone. I want to kind of speak into that. As we've been really working our way through many of the Apostle Paul's letters and his writings, we've been focusing on his instructions toward the church in regards to the way that we're really meant to live as the church, how we're meant to operate as the church as one people. And for Paul, he had the, the complexity of having, for the first time in history, having to bring all these different groups of people and make them into one people called the church. People from different backgrounds, different walks of life, Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, converted Romans, Ethiopians, all these different people groups, even male and female, all together for the first time in the church. And he had the, the, the mission or the, the, the job to kind of unite them in worship, but not just unite them in worship, but also unite them in mission. Unite all these different people groups into one purpose. And something interesting and often overlooked in Paul's letters is what we identify as Paul's problems. Or even if that's the way we should say it, maybe it's better to say Paul's challenges. The challenges that Paul faced were not really the diversity of the groups and the backgrounds that were the challenges that he faced. Even though he had so many different diverse groups and people groups and backgrounds within the one church, it was, it was not the backgrounds or the diversity of the people that caused the challenges for Paul. Paul's challenges came from individuals that were pushing their own agenda. Paul's challenge weren't people groups that divided the church. It was individuals with their false teaching that divided the church. It was individuals advocating immoral living that, that, that divided the church. The, the individuals that he constantly had to rebuke and correct. And this is obviously, this is for Paul was the biggest area of disunity, not the diversity of backgrounds, but selfish behaviour. Selfish behaviour that was disrupting the church from moving together. And I want to speak into that this morning and really reveal something very simple, but I believe it'll be very helpful. I said simple, which does not mean that you're going to get out any earlier this morning, but, but nonetheless, I know it'll bless some people. Are you ready for it? Yes. Let's read our text again. Philippians chapter 2 says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and purpose. Paul starts out this, this passage with a list of rhetorical questions. He says, if. He says, if there is any encouragement from being united with Christ. And what you need to understand is Paul is not being melancholy or depressive. Paul's not really asking if as a question, but reminding them of what we have in common as a church. He's saying, he's saying, hey, hey, has anyone, not really so much if, but has anyone experienced encouragement from Christ? And the congregation would say, well, yeah, 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 we, we have. He's like, has, has anybody experienced comfort from, from the love of God? Yeah. Everyone would be like, yeah, yeah, I've experienced some comfort. Has, 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 has anybody experienced, had an experience in God's presence that, that's made them experience something, something to do with Christ? And, and most people would be like, yeah, 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 we have. So Paul's like, we have a lot in common, don't we, church? We have, a, we have a lot that's really bringing us together. We, we've all experienced 
something in Christ. But Paul doesn't want it to stay as an experience. Paul wants us to take it one step further, that we wouldn't just be united in experience, but we'd be united in purpose as well. That the church wouldn't just be united from our experiences together, experience is love, but we'd also be united in the purpose of God for us as the church. And he says, let's do this by being like-minded. By being like-minded. This is a a powerful word that Paul refers to 10 times in his letter to the Philippians and 23 times in total in his letters to the church. But he says, let's be like-minded. Now, what you need to know is what Paul is not asking is for the church to be like personality. He's not saying, come on church, now let's look the same and act the same. He's not saying let's all wear skinny jeans and be into motorcycles. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying that. Because he, he, he knows some of people shouldn't be wearing skinny jeans. I'm just saying. No, but he's saying, he's saying let's, let's not be like personality, but let's be like minded. In other words, he's saying, come on, now that you've experienced Christ, let's get on the same page and what that produces in our life. And let's be one in purpose and one in mission, one intention. Let's, let's begin to move together. Let's have the same direction because Christ is at the forefront of our mind. What he's talking about is like-minded is having the same will and emotions. A constant outlook that really affects our attitude. And then he says this in verse three. He, he says probably one of the toughest statements I feel in the entire Bible. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, everyone say humility. humility. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. It's tough, Paul. I think we'd all agree that it makes for pretty preaching, but it's really tough in application. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing really for your own desire, but, but, but in humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't even just prefer others, but really think of others as better than you. Have this position. And, I mean, Paul, what are you asking here? This is tough stuff, Paul. Paul, I'd rather you talk about the blessings that come with God, but, but now you're asking me to, to, to think of others. Have you, have you met the other people in our church, Paul? Come on, you, you think, man, you, you want me to think of them better than, than, than me? Paul was really coming against some certain individuals in the church that, that, that were really struggling with the concept of preferring one another. I want you to write this down on your notepad, because all of you are taking notes, amen. I want you to write down humility is central to unity. It's going to make sense as we open up the passage today. Humility is central to, to unity. Paul's mission was to present a united church to God. He said, that's why I want you to make my joy complete because I want to, I want to present a church that's united. I want to ch- present a church that's one in purpose, one, one church from different people, different backgrounds, but, but one church. And it's interesting to me that every time, this is just, something fascinating, something silly that you might think. But, but to me, every time this week as I was, and really in the last couple of weeks, when I go to, to prepare my notes, a word, a word I've been writing a lot is the word united. But as I was preparing this week, what I would often write was the word untied. And it's kind of cute, kind of weird, but as frustrated as I was every time I'd kind of have to correct what I would write, God would speak to me and He was like, but this is what I'm talking about. 
So often we're trying to be united as a church, but, but as, in individu- in, as individuals, we're coming undone. As individuals, as the Word says, we're, we're coming untied. How, how do we stay united when we're untied individually? I think it's a good question to ask ourselves, right, church? How is it that we're meant to be the church, as Paul says, united in purpose, one people, but if we were to look at our individual lives, most of us wouldn't have it together. Most of us probably would really be honest. We say, we, we don't really, I don't have it together. I don't have it together. And I think it's especially important when we come around the topic of humility. I, I, haven't, I haven't preached on this before because it's always been a tough topic to preach about. It's a tough topic to get our head around, the idea of humility, because we always see humility as weakness. Well, I, I did. I've always seen humility as a, as a weak thing. That though if I'm to be humble, I guess the fear is in humility, how do I stand up for who God's called me to be but still prefer others and not get walked over? How do I keep promoting others and how do I keep preferring others but then trust that God's got me? Trust that God's going to elevate me. Is that anybody else with me in this church? We, am I preaching to the wrong church? How do we... How do we model humility? I'm going to come down here. I know the camera guys aren't going to appreciate this, but I got to get. Sometimes I just like to be amongst it, right? Sometimes I like to kind of just get down and not create the disconnect that the stage can sometimes create. Sometimes it's good to kind of just be around people. And when it comes to humility, often we see humility as a weak thing. We see humility as a, as a weakness that 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 if I am humble, I, I'm, I'm not going to be have humility, I'm going to be humiliated. And that's probably the fear when it comes to humility. And, and did Luke do a good job on the offering? Did he do a good, really good job on the offering today? He did a good job, didn't he, this guy? I like where you're sitting. It's a good view of the screen. It's a good view of the, of the art. Look, look at my writing. It looks, man, does it look like that from here for real? Okay. Looks so much better in my mind. But... But I like that seat. And, and you know what? I really like that seat because he's sitting next to Michelle. And Michelle is outstanding. Michelle is just a phenomenal woman of God. She is, she's very, very clever. You must have tithed double. Amen. So, so what I like to do is, I'd like, I'm just going to sit in this seat, actually. You know what? I'm just, just get in this seat right here. In fact, I'm going to sit in this seat. This is a good seat, man. This is a really good seat. I like this seat. This is, this is often how we view humility. That someone takes something from us. And because they take it from us, now I'm in a position of humiliation. Because now he's going to have to stand there the rest of the sermon because I'm comfortable right now. <laughs> but, but you're going to probably, you preach. I know he would need to take the stage. That's vacant. No one's on the platform. I'll take that. But, but you can take your seat back. Take it, give it up for, for Luke. But here's, here's the thing. That's often how we see humility, that someone takes something from me. And now I'm going to be in a position of humiliation. But what's better is if when I come up to, to Luke and he can anticipate that I'm going to take his seat and he offers it to me, he's not humiliated. He's in humility. He's humbled. And there is strength in humility. Here's the strength in humility. The strength in humility is when something is given, not taken. You can say, man, something's taken from you and you get humiliated. But when you give it, because the Bible says, even in verse 8 of this passage, that, that Jesus offered His life. They didn't take His life. He was humbled. He wasn't humiliated. They wanted to humiliate Him. They wanted to put Him on the cross. The most humiliating way to crucify someone was, it was on the cross. The, the most humiliating way was to hang the 
them naked, open on the cross, bared on the cross, but, but, but they couldn't take from Him because He gave it. So He gave it from a place of strength. When, when you give something, there is strength. So, so being humbled and having humility is a strength position. But when someone takes something from you, that's when you're humiliated. Jesus said, they couldn't take it from me because I offered it in advance. I came to serve. I came to give. I came in a humbled position, giving up my divinity, taking the position in humanity and saying, I give to you. So there is strength in humility. There is strength when we are humble. Jesus humbled himself. And so this is what Paul is, he's talking about. He's like, Jesus humbled himself, so surely we can be humble. Surely we could be humble. Selflessness. There's incredible strength in selflessness. At the same time, the greatest cause of division is selfish ambition. Remember in the garden, we talked about this last week. In the garden, they, they tried to separate. The, the enemy came to Eve and tried to, tried to separate Eve tried to isolate Eve from Adam because when they were together, they were strong. There was strength in their communion. It was a really good message, wasn't it, Pastor Kim? So, 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 so there was strength in the communion, but the enemy had to isolate and separate. So then, so then the, the enemy could ultimately divide Eve from God. The, the, the idea of separation, when you get separated from the community of believers, the enemy's plan is to ultimately divide you from God. That's what he wants to bring, that division. But the tool that he used to bring to vision was selfish ambition. Wow. He said, surely God doesn't want you to know all things. Mm. And she, he lured the Eve, lured Eve with the idea of selfish ambition. And selfish ambition, Paul understands and reveals that it's the selfish ambition from individuals in the church that were dividing the church. It wasn't the diversity of backgrounds. It wasn't the different people groups. It was, it was the me that was affecting the we. It, it, it's, it's, it's the stuff in me that I'm not dealing with. It's the, the lack of humility in my life that I'm not going to God with and getting it together that, that's causing the, the divide between the church. It's, it's me not taught, taking responsibility for me. So Paul reveals that certain individuals had their priorities out of order. For the church to function as one, in one purpose and one mission, we need to get our Priorities straight. We, we need to get some things together. Look at your neighbors and say, get it together. We need to get our priorities together. How many people have done this before? You've made a priority list in your life. Anybody ever made a priority list? What, what my, they used to teach us this at Bible college. Among many things at, at Bible college, they used to try and teach us how to, how to have sustainability in ministry. This was one of the, the subjects, longevity in ministry and how to have sustainability. And one of the, the antidotes to, to sustainability in ministry was a priority list, having your priorities right. And so they would, they would test us and they would, they would, they would put, I actually just, I just was down in San Jose campus and on the road, I was talking to one of the guys in the car and, and we're just talking about what, what he's looking for. I'm not going to give his name away, Chris, but, but what we're talking about is, is, is what, what kind of girls are you looking for? Like what kind of a girl are you looking for? And, and, and it was a test because before anything else, he said, he said, well, she's got to be godly. And he passed the test, right? So that's what they try and trick us with, that kind of stuff at Bible college. And, and so when we're making a priority of our life, I, I'm smart enough to know this one, that the first one has to be Jesus. 
Who else got that one? Who else knew that one? Who, who else knows that? That's, that's, this is what, how we would answer. We say, Jesus. But what you do is you get extra points if you put a Scripture with it. So I do this one, Colossians 1.17. We know it's Jesus because it says, He existed before anything else and holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He is first in everything. He's first in everything. So I know that Jesus is first. I can, I can put that one up there confidently. Jesus is first. If I have Jesus is first, I, I know that everything else is gonna be okay. You know, the Bible says, seek first His kingdom and everything else will be added unto you. So, so I nailed this one, A plus star for the, for the Bible college student. Number one is Jesus. But what comes next? Well, what? when I'm looking at an order of my life and priorities, because I want to be, I want to work on me, so I've got to get a priority, right? What, what comes next? Well, we know from Paul, Paul talks about others. Think of others as better than yourself. So if I'm putting a list together, second place, I'm going to put others, all right? And thirdly, I'm going to put yourself. Because Paul makes it very clear. This is what it is to be the church. This is what it is to be united in purpose. This is what it is. We need to get it together, but, but you need to think of others more highly than yourself. You need to put others first. And when I look at this, it feels right. It feels right. It feels like Jesus, yeah. Others, how, how good am I? I'm putting others first and then myself. And, and in a way, it's actually, there's a code in this that Paul, he was talking about this the whole time. He says, make my joy complete. Make my joy, not even make God but make my joy complete. And, and it feels good because, Paul, you're so smart. Even in this order, I, I can see what you're talking about. I can see that your joy comes from Jesus, others and yourself. He's so good. But it makes for good display. But what's confusing to me is what's in this category. Well, well, it's a bit of a blanket category because I don't know is, does others include my family or is my family in the yourself category? Does, does others include my career or because I've got a boss, but then I've also got my family to, to, to care for, so I need to provide. How, how do I begin to navigate this? Because it's easy with this one. This one's set. I know this one, but, but what can happen is, is, is this one can almost become like an island on its own. I, I can do Jesus' time and I can prioritise Jesus, but, but do you want me to take Jesus' time out of my career? Should I not do my work and make time for Jesus and, and just pursue Him alone? If Jesus is first of my life, but, but then I've got to provide for my family. And what about my family? Is, does, is my family in your self category? So should I be taking time out of my career? to spend with my family, but then I've got to provide for my family. And what about friends? Where do friends fall in the mix? Is friends a selfish motive or, or is friends in the other's category? Should I put my friends first before myself? And then it can be a little bit confusing because Jesus becomes an island on His own. And if He was on an island on His own, I could be unified. I could do that really good. But it's when these other categories start to interrupt my life. It's when these other areas start to affect my Jesus category. It's when, it's when, it's when my other areas, it's when, my, when the pressure that I get at work begins to affect my relationships at church. It's, it's, it's when the pressure in my marriage begins to filter into my time with God. It's, it's when, it, when it contradicts what God has for my life. This is where I begin to come undone. So how do we, how do we navigate this, Paul? How, do we, how are we meant to be like-minded? 
How are we, the church, meant to be united when the problem's on me? So here we've got Paul writing to the church. And I want to say a statement for the kind of church that we want to be. And I want to propose to you that as a church, we don't put Jesus first. It's tense in here. I want to propose that we don't put Jesus first, at the top of the list, so to speak. And before you throw your iPhones at me for being heretical, I want to explain what I'm talking about. Because because Paul articulated in Colossians that he is first in everything. He is first in everything, that he is first in. The Bible is written in a way, and each word and each phrase and each thing has significance. I believe it. That he doesn't say that Jesus is just above everything. Because if Jesus was just above everything, then Jesus would be an island where separated from every area in my life. But, but he says Jesus is in everything. And so I think we've got it wrong in looking at a list of priorities. And instead what I feel we're called to do is I feel we're called to put Jesus at the centre of everything in our life. That in everything that we have to do, in, in my career, I put Jesus in my career. I, I put Jesus first in my family. I put Jesus first in my friendships. I put Jesus first, not, not at the top or not above so that by the time I get down to myself, I'm so disconnected from Jesus because I put everyone else first and I've got nothing left to give. But, but in the way that I do my own time, in the way that I do family, in the way that I do ministry, in the way that I do work, in everything, I put Jesus at the centre so He becomes first priority in everything. And remember we said humility is central to unity, Jesus said He humbled Himself like a slave. He, 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 he laid up His divinity. He took on humility and as, as a humble God, He positioned Himself so that you and I could be united together so that when we have Jesus at the centre of everything we do, there is unity. Even though I'm dysfunctional, even though I don't have it all together, even though I don't have my life sorted the way it probably should, me is not the inhibitor of we as long as Jesus is at the centre. As long as Jesus is at the centre. As long as I put Jesus at the centre. That is the very key. So often we think that I'm the one letting the team down. This is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to isolate you. He wants to separate you. He wants to magnify the things in your life as if you're the one, as if Paul was writing to you. As if Paul was, his frustrations were with you. If only you could get it together, then people would love you. If only you could get it together, you'd feel like you fit more in the house of God. If only you could get it together. But, but what He wants to do is He wants to magnify our dysfunction, forgetting the fact that it's our dysfunction that amplifies God's grace and is the very thing that brings us into the family of God. But He wants to isolate us to think that it's me that's hindering the we. But Paul didn't say, have it all together. He just said, be like-minded. He just said, just, 
just whatever you do, in the midst of your dysfunction, in the midst of your inability, in the midst of your incapability, would you just have a mind of Christ? Would, would you just align your thoughts to, 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 to Christ and what Christ wants to do in your dysfunction? Would you just keep renewing your mind? Would you just keep trans, trans, transforming yourself by, by, by changing the way you think? Don't look at your dysfunction as something that separates you, but look at your dysfunction as something that unites you because there is a greater opportunity for God to move in your life and for God to fill the void. And, I, and what we need to understand is Paul says is that it's together Has anyone, has any one of us experienced the love of God? Has any one of us been united with Christ? Has has any one of us, and I like the fact that God spoke to me this week as I was preparing because I I kept writing untied. I kept kept emphasising the fact that we're untied, that we come undone. But but God God said the difference between untied and united is simply the separation between you and I. That, That in fact, being united is you and I together going through our struggles, throwing through, going through our hurts, our pains, that you and I together, unless there's you and I, there is no unified. Unless there's you and I, there is no unity. Unless there's you and I, unless there's you going through your struggles and me going through my struggles, but together we're going the same direction. Together we, we find comfort in His love. Together we find purpose in Christ. Together, not just an experience, but with one mind. You and I together, together. This is how we remain unified. You and I. You and you and I. One in purpose. One mission. Not one personality. Don't get don't get Paul wrong. He's not he's not trying to produce a a church in a commune that looks the same, dresses the same, acts the same. It's like each one of us have got individual struggles. Each one of us have got individual hurts, but, but when we come with the same mindset, knowing what Christ has done in us, when we come with the same mindset to know that as I prefer one another, there is actually strength and humility. I'm not gonna lose my identity. God still wants me to be me. God still wants me to be me within the community, but, but He still wants me to be, be me. But, 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 but when I prefer others, but when I, even in the midst of my hurt and my dysfunction, I can still prefer others. I can still have the mindset to think that others think of others better than myself. If I can still have that selfless attitude because I know it's selfish ambition is the enemy's tool to, to take me out of the, of the community of believers, to take me out of unity with Christ. That, that, that as I keep kind of think a selfless thought and I keep preferring Him, it's you and I together, we achieve the purpose of God. And I love that because so often we think that I've got to get it together, that I've got to get it together, that we've got to get it together. We've got to get it together. But, but it's not about me getting it together. It's you and I both getting it, God's plan, God's promises, God's blessings, God's favour, God's breakthrough, everything that God has for us. It's not about me getting it together so that I can get His promises. No, no, no. It's about us getting His promises together because, because His purpose lies in together. His, His plans for you lie with the other person. It's us together that God has called us to achieve what He's called us to achieve together. Not alone, not isolated, not indifferent from everybody else, but, but sharing the struggles together. Paul said, come on, we, we, our struggle is the same. Our struggle's the same. Paul was in prison and, and the church were getting opposition. Their struggle wasn't the same, but he's like, in a way our struggle's the same because we still struggle for the same cause. 
we still struggle for the same mission. It's to preach a Saviour who loves you in your dysfunction, that you don't have to have it all clean cut and all together to fit in the community of believers. But it doesn't matter what your background, doesn't matter what your experience, doesn't matter what your history, doesn't matter what the shame or the guilt of the past, you don't have to have it together to fit with Jesus Christ. You simply have to follow Him, prefer one another, and then you will get everything that God has for you with the others because there's strength in humility. Because there's strength in humility. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. For more information about C3 Church SV, to plan your first visit, or if you'd like prayer for anything, please visit us on our website at c3sv.com.